0: Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. We appreciate you spending time with us once again. This edition is made possible by CARTS, the Corporation for Automated Road Transportation Safety, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to safe and high-quality mobility for all. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan.
1: Hey, good evening, Fred.
0: Hope you had a great weekend on our, on our agenda today, a presentation you delivered at the International Road Safety Symposium in Vancouver. Very recently, this is titled, A New Deployment Framework for Autonomous Vehicles. Give us the overview of what this symposium was about, and then let's take a look at this presentation.
1: Uh, yes. Um, um, given that I'm on sabbatical this year, I've been uh, uh, going around the world almost uh, giving talks in various places, um, Austin, Memphis, uh, L.A., um, Rome, Florence, Vancouver. And so it was in Vancouver last week. Uh, put together a talk for a safety conference where I was asked to talk about um, the safety of autonomous vehicles. They were dealing with safety of sort of all modes of transportation or all modes of road transportation and city transportation. But focus on that. And I just felt that uh, given the audience um, that, uh, yes, safety is important, all this. But I just thought, given everything that's been happening, I wanted to take a step back. And, um, and really look at where we are. And so I put together this presentation and I'd really like to, to bring it out here. Uh, we'll have it linked in, in Smart Driving Cars and E-letter and it'll be linked in the, in the, in the uh, podcast and Zoomcast. But I just thought um, we need to take a step back a little bit and see where we are. And most important to see where we're going And let's get to deployment and deployment that is um, that um, returns some value back to the investors as well as deliver value to society, which I think is the important has been the important motivator here for uh, much of this uh, investment. So, um, you know, I just like to go through uh, the presentation here for the folks. Um,
0: Well, let's have a look.
1: Yes. So Fred, uh, really changed the title from what was in the program to really what uh, what is a, what we I think is a new deployment framework for autonomous vehicles. What's new about it is that it's not what the, the developers of autonomous vehicles, or at least some of it is what they've been focused on and others isn't. Uh, certainly for, as we'll see for safe and, and self-driving cars, it absolutely is going down the, the whole uh, deployment uh, uh, opportunities and and visions uh, that have been out there. But for driverless, um, uh, I think things uh, need to go in a a completely different direction than than where they've been going. Uh, So so much has been happening lately. Uh, We had crews back in July um, show up in GM's uh, quarterly report In which it came out, you know, they're losing 5 million bucks a day. Uh, And so um, that sort of um, put some rumbles through uh, saying, my goodness, uh, um, what's going on here? And then there was a leaked memo from Aurora back in September 2nd, in which... uh, uh, Chris Ermson basically uh, weighed some spin-offs and layoffs and acquisitions against sales to big tech and uh, really uh, with respect to uh, a situation in which uh, uh, when uh, will revenue start and, uh, and will they be able to survive until that's, uh, that start of revenue for, for the company? And then The Verge had, uh, back in October 18th, uh, that FedEx is shutting down its robot delivery program. Um, You you know, this is with the low-speed vehicles that have been, you know, delivering lunches in California. And I guess FedEx has decided that it's probably not the way that uh, they want to go in terms of uh, doing um, home delivery. And then we had, uh, back on October 19th, um, some high expectations when Waymo, Waymo said it, it was bringing robo-taxis to LA, but then when one looked at uh, you know how many and when and whatnot, um, uh, I guess um, my conclusion was, it was very disappointing given all the wonderful work that Waymo has done in terms of the technology, in terms of safety, um, uh, to see that that, uh, the deployment in LA um, would be um, so, um, I guess, infinitesimal. And then the challenges of of even not being able to to, uh, uh, gain revenue until the, the uh, public utilities commission uh, lets them uh, do this as a business it seems to suggest oh my goodness um you know we've done we've been great at testing but when are we going to do deployment and i think uh mobile eye uh last week uh, going public uh doing an ipo uh, having a major pop of 37 percent after after being spun out of intel so was a uh, Was really a positive sign, but of course, if you look at uh, at the uh, what uh, they put out in mobile, I put out uh, in advance of the IPO, you can see that that at least the mobile has revenue. It's it's not just been pre-revenue company and it has substantial revenue into the OEMs basically for the purpose of providing uh, software and systems for uh, advanced driver assistance. And so um, that's an optimistic point, at least in one market category for this automation technology. Um, And then... Of course, on October 26th, uh, then all of a sudden uh, uh, Ford with VW backed Argo uh, shuts down. And uh, that is a you know, major uh, turn off. Uh, basically, this, the comment is, is that, uh, is that uh, you know, driverless mobility is really very far into the future. In short term, uh, there are opportunities with respect to uh, advanced driver assistance systems, and safety systems, uh, in vehicles that are sold in, the, uh, in dealerships uh, the way that cars have been sold at least since Henry uh, Ford. And, um, and that that part of the business has, has substantial opportunities. But what Argo uh, AI was going after—the driverless piece to provide mobility—really um, um, is too far in the future for uh, Ford to continue to to uh, move forward with Argo. Um, and then, uh, yeah, driving- pretty
0: much, pretty much all these headlines, Alan, are things that we've obviously talked about in the podcast and. Uh- Obviously, yeah. the, the the Argo story uh, hit home for a lot of people. Covering uh, autonomous vehicle technology and some specu- I think there was speculation that Mobileye did pretty well, almost because of Argo. <laughs> and
1: yeah, and to- and I should point out that certainly their 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 price is held uh, through the Argo uh, situation and and today, so it hasn't tanked and maybe it was helped. And in fact, uh, you know some. Uh, things we'll talk about today is that the VW is is going to now um, snuggle up with Mobileye uh, to 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 move forward. So that's uh, you know quite uh, optimistic. Uh, but then you 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 have the Secretary of Transportation coming out talking about the Valley of Death as autonomous cars write checks uh, they can't cash. Um, yes in certain markets so far they they that's been the story but in other markets um, uh, everybody's doing quite well thank you and we'll discuss those and we've talked about it in the podcast but i just thought in terms of this presentation taking a look and at all this is is um, is is, um, a, is a good thought and then the verge on the 27th for thinks uh, driver assist is safer than uh, than driverless cars, but it's fooling itself, Uh, is safer. Ford thinks the driver assist is a safer bet than driverless car, but it's fooling itself. And at least that's Andrew Hawkins' thoughts. Uh, And and, uh, that's really saying that uh, uh, at least he believes, we believe that uh, still there's enormous value in the driverless car concept. And, um, and the driver assist is, is good and so on, but that is sort of the, the, the nominal value or the, 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 the small market in all this. Um, so, um, so much has been happening lately. So instead, uh, what I decided in the talk was to uh, take a step back, uh, look at the fundamentals of mobility, Uh, identify the societal challenges associated uh, uh, with mobility and the role of technology as a potential disruptor of consumer choice. And uh, to use these elements, uh, the fundamentals of mobility, uh, the societal challenges, the role of technology, as the the, the, uh, disruptor of consumer choice, because really that's what automation is here. It's technology that is anticipated to be a disruptor and use these as a guide to deployment of automation in such a way that the marketplace responds to alleviate mobility challenges and improves the fundamental thing, improves quality of life know, that's why we're doing all the, or at least that's what i think of, we're doing all this is to is to really put it out there get it used um, uh, solve problems of certain market classes and improve quality of life so if we go to mobility 101 as i want to talk the fundamentals of consumer choice it's important that we go back to the fundamentals because the choice is to go or don't go and if we decide to go Where, when, and how? I mean, that's really all mobility is. It's a consumer choice. We individually make these choices each time we travel. And actually, each time we don't travel if we decide not to go. And and why do people take trips? And as I tell my classes, as a fundamental first day of class to maximize the expected place, time, utility of the individual. That's why you do it. You say to yourself, I even said in the, in the presentation, I said, you know, I traveled 3,000 miles to come out here to, to Vancouver to give this talk. And guess why I did it is because I wanted to be here with you. I wanted to be here. And that was the most important thing for me to do is to be here with you today, right now. That's why I traveled. Otherwise, I would have stayed home. It's the only reason, I mean, you know, you can talk about everything, but it's fundamental and you you can't forget that. And the expected utility and and the key to that is an expected utility. It's what you anticipate is going to be the value to you. And that expected utility is, is the expectation of the value of being there minus the cost of getting there. So if the cost of getting there is zero, then it's just a value of, oh, my goodness, I'm going to be such a happier camper. But what I expect to be a happy camper. Now, it may turn out that, oh, made a terrible things turn south, whatever. <laughs> Who knows? Hey, this is, we're always looking into the future when we travel. So it's all about expectations and expectations of, of, of the cost of getting there. And um, why did we go a certain way? Well, the way that we designed to go a certain way, the reason I didn't walk from Princeton to Vancouver and flew is because, man, the cost to me of walking would have been, oh, my goodness. And to fly there, well, not so bad. And, you know, in which way I could have flown flown nonstop using, um, using, um, Air Canada, and if I'm doing United, I have to change in 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 uh, Denver. but looking at the times and whatever shows to change in Denver. Okay, why? Because uh, hey, in terms of the, the the not only price, but the difficulty and the uh, apprehension and uh, the pain in the butt associated of of travel. I expected, you know, the best way of expected cost of traveling through through Denver was the best way to go. So that's the way I went. And I turned to the people in the audience and I said, you know, I guess what, all of you, guess why you're here is because you expected being here with me, listening to my talk was the best thing that could happen to you at this particular time. And that's why you came. And I so appreciate that you... You had that expectation of me. I hope I'm not going to um, you know, somehow uh, not uh, live up to it. But that's, that's why you do it. It's very fundamental, very simple, very straightforward. Not a computer trying to do, do these expectations. There's a lot of details. that gets into a lot of things and isn't so trivial because you might have different value propositions than what I have and so on. And so you'll make different choices. But everybody's rational, I believe, and everybody makes rational choices, their own rationality. I might look at their rationality and say, boy, you're screwed up. But, you know, what made me, God, to think that your rationality, Fred, is, is not up to par. I mean, it's your rationality. And so it's your expectations, your value for being there, your expectation of cost of getting there. That's what it is. So the key dimensions of the expect, these expected costs. I'll claim there are others, but the key dimensions of the expected costs are safety, equity, affordability, sustainability, and quality level of service. There are some other ones that we could talk, but these are really important ones. Okay, and they somehow combine and in your brain, each individual puts all those things together and adds them up to get an expected cost of getting there. And that's how that's all done. And so if we look at, you know, how big is the uh, market for mobility in the US? So what is the total addressable vehicular? moving by, by vehicles on the ground, mobility market in U.S., not including walk trips. Walk trips are sort of, you know, they're kind of weird and difficult to handle. So let's not even talk about them because they, they're usually extremely short. Every once in a while, somebody walks a long distance, but very rarely. So we have a U.S. population of about 330 million, We have daily person trips of about three and a half of these non-walking trips per person on average, roughly that number, which leads about one point one billion person trips per day. So, in the U.S. today, there are about one point one billion trips taken by individuals making individual decisions. And my goodness, they really wanted to get someplace, and their uh, their expected value minus the expected cost of doing that, the best thing they wanted to do and they chose chose a way to go and they went and tomorrow it's going to be about the same and next day is going to be about the same and next day is all the, individually they won't be the same trips but that's that's what it is and you know about 90% of these of these trips are taken by personal car only 3% of them are taken by transit less than 1% are by ride hailing or taxi and I like to throw in there about, you know, 5% of trips that, that really should have been taken, but weren't taken, probably because the cost of taking them was so high to the individual that they just couldn't, couldn't make it happen. But if we looked at them and said, my goodness, you know, society, they would have been better off if we could have somehow done something about that cost. And the cost I'm talking about, generalized cost, and not just how much money comes out of you know your pocketbook, but it's also the safety, the, the reliability, the comfort, the whole bunch of other things put together. And we'll call them latent trips, trips that probably should have been taken that weren't. Average trip lengths for, for the person trip lengths is, you know, really less than five miles, has an extremely long tail. Like last Sunday, when I went out to Vancouver, traveled 3,000 miles, you know, there were a lot of, a lot of other people who traveled 3,000 miles. But very few out there at the end of the tail distribution compared to the bulk of the trips are, You know, one mile, two mile, three mile, four mile, five mile, you know, that's what that distribution looks like. Many very short, but an extremely long tail. The market value of of all these trips, uh, you know, we might put it at a bucket trip, something like a bucket trip. So, uh, you know, this is like about 5 billion USA, dollars per day associated in the value of all this which is a market you know a totalable addressable market is something like 1.1.5 t trillion dollars u.s per day that's pretty nice market
0: that's per year yes
1: per year i mean per year thank you yes so you know that's that's what it looks like so If we look at mobility today, it really is pretty good, but it has challenges, challenges of safety, challenges of equity, challenges of affordability, at least for some, and a non-trivial number of, of the 330 million Americans, sustainability, and really the quality of that compared to what the bulk of the population has, has available to them. So the issue really comes to pass on this is what, where, and how can automation help? Safety, equity, affordability, sustainability, and high quality.
0: And we've talked a lot about the, the equity piece here because when we say mobility is really pretty good these days, good for most people but not for everyone and that's one of the things that we focused on right
1: and that's what we focus on and that's really what we want to put uh put out about put out here and in fact you know yes we safety uh, my goodness sure we we kill 100 100 a day kill 100 a day die which is a, a lot of people but it's it's a safety situation that we're certainly I guess, willing to accept up to this point because of the great benefit that we get out of the automobile. I mean, as I said before, 90% of the trips, greater than 90% of the vehicle trips are taken in automobiles. Why? Because folks, when they looked at where they wanted to go, where they wanted to be and how they wanted to get there, found a way to do it with an automobile. And of course, that has some safety, equity, affordability, sustainability,
0: quality of that
1: sets the bar, sets where it is. So that if we look at the what, where, and how guiding principles of all this, the marketplace, because it is a marketplace of individual choice, of individuals making a choice of to go, not to go, and and how to go when they decide to go there. And so, you know, the guiding principles, one of them is that deployment, I believe, should be, must be, and is coupled to consumer demand. So in fact, you do deployment where in fact, you're gonna have some customers, of course. Why would you deploy where you don't? Well, sometimes every once in a while, we look at somewhere where some, maybe some transportation systems have been built, Nobody shows up, okay? Shouldn't have done that. But really the customer demand and deployment, customer demand really should be you know, pulling deployment because they're integrally coupled. If anything is going to happen, then the marketplace needs to do it. Why? Because the public sector isn't rich enough. And if the marketplace is going to do it, then you know this dependence on looking at customer demand is really Really key. And then, of course, you know, where, what about technology and technology's role in all of this? And I claim it comes from Joe Schumpeter. Unfortunately, he was a Harvard professor, not a Princeton economics professor, but, you know, can't be perfect, but we love him dearly. And his disruptive technology threshold, which to me is the key guiding principle. In a capitalist reality, it is not price competition which counts, but the competition from the new commodity, the new technology, that's what startups are all about, competition which commands a decisive cost and or quality advantage. And which strikes not at the margins of the profits and the outputs of the existing firms. In other words, it's not just a little bit different, and we're just going to you know compete, you know, very narrowly, but at their foundations and their very lives. In other words, it's substantially different. And you know, we have a number of examples of, of technologies that have come in, come in and totally disrupted uh the status quo that were very different in terms of cost and quality and or quality. And went out there and just, you know, turned the market, turned it, took it all. Uh, iPhone, of course, being one of them, one looks at the internet, one looks now at, at streaming versus, versus uh, cable and so on and so forth you know, these are substantially different. And this is the disruptive technology threshold that really needs to take place here if if, if the, the market is going to respond, if the customer demands and the, uh, is going to be able to respond to a deployment that is in fact disruptive. So the question is, if we look at automation role, technology role, we have to talk about, well, what kind of automation which are an incarnation of automation and i guess from the beginning fred we've talked about these things you know nitsa has its its levels which everybody knows i don't like why because they're called levels you know and i ended up calling all this smart driving cars and i claim there are only three levels and one of the levels is what safe driving cars and i all i'm continuously use these days, this image of the safe driving car. This is the image. We can, the individual here in the car can be turning the steering wheel and hitting the pedals and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But the technology back here is absolutely making sure that these, Uh, Drivers and passengers in this vehicle will never be harmed. They'll never hit an aisle. They'll never have a collision. She's going to make sure of that. And to me, this is what safe driving cars are all about. They have speed limiters, breathalyzer, ignition interlocks, intelligent cruise control, lane centering, automated emergency braking that really works. And these things are on all the time, watching over us. Why? Because, of course, as we've done here for a very long time, Fred, we've said that everybody who wants to quote, the, the, you know, greater than 90% of the car crashes uh, involve uh, humans in the loop someplace. Well, it's not just humans in the loop. It's the driver misbehavior that leads to those things. Driver misbehavior, the most <laughs> biggest one is, you know, looking at your texting on your phone. Not paying attention, falling asleep, drinking not, too much.
0: You're you're not big on people saying I had an accident.
1: <laughs> <laughs> They're not accidents, absolutely not. And we should stop calling them that. their driver misbehavior. Ran into the back of me. Why? Because uh, because they were they they were tailgating me. They ran off the road. Why? Because. Who knows, they're checking something out or whatever, and you know, whatever. That's where those things happen. And so, you know, what we need are tech- is technology that basically will be uh, our, our, our get out of jail free card, our savior, in case we misbehave. it will let us do a bunch of stuff but if the things that we're doing is about to lead into a crash, it's going to intervene in there and stop the crash. So, if we're really interested in alleviating safety, and safety is our big concern, then we need to have these systems it essentially all exist today in cars on all the time. And the problem is that the marketplace hasn't responded very well to you know, safety objectives. Now, safety is a hard sell. So these things probably need to be mandated. So if the secretary of transportation really wants to do something about safety, then he should mandate speed limiters. Shouldn't be able to go more than, I don't know, pick a number. Nine over, maybe 14 over. Certainly not more than that. You shouldn't be able to start the car if you've had too much to drink. These systems exist. Intelligent cruise control that, that doesn't wait until you're 1.6 seconds to collision. But actually, as you approach and you come from infinity to to 10 seconds, to six seconds, to five seconds, as you approach, it starts to do something. It doesn't just let you run up at the bend and all of a sudden turn the darn thing on the way these systems work today. And and should, should the OEMs do this? If they put a breathalyzer in a car, even for free, how many will they sell? I'll suggest zero, okay? If they put a speed limiter on there and not let me go greater than nine miles over, I'm gonna clip the wires. So somebody has to come in there and do it. We've done it before. We've done it with, with, um, with stability control. Since 2012, every car has to have stability control. That means that if I'm going around a corner too fast, the sensors figure out that I'm about to lose my rear end. The system kicks in. Applies, brakes, torque, who knows what, whatever. To stabilize me, takes over, basically takes the steering wheel and, and and the brakes, steering wheel out of my hands and brakes off of my feet and and, and, and throttle off of my feet and saves the day. And after I stop sweating from it saving the day, I'm there, oh thank you. Oh my goodness. Am oh, I lucky to have that?
0: Any thoughts about how many lives you say we lose 100 lives a day in the the US?
1: Well, then the number Uh is 90% 90 or because we misbehave. If we put things in there that, 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 that watch us misbehave, because these crashes are not crashes that happen instantaneously. There's a lead up to them. One can sense that it is. A beautiful presentation that was also made at, at, at the conference was was by Waymo, showing that you know, Waymo vehicle in through their simulations, if it would have been the vehicle in which a, a car that, that, that went through a red light at, at 107 miles an hour and T-bone some other car making a left turn, the the car making the left turn didn't see them coming because why, you're making a left turn, this thing's coming from the right, you're looking this way, of course not. But because they basically had 360 vision, the Waymo car would have seen that. Would have seen that 107 mile an hour car approaching, would have tapped the brakes, slowed down a little bit, and the car would have gone in front of it. The systems exist to do this. So if you're really interested in safety, the way to do it is to put some of these systems in cars and not let people misbehave. Even if somebody else that doesn't have this is going 107 miles an hour, these systems could go out there and save you and that person. But this is, this is, this is safe driving cars, okay? This is a, a separate market and in some sense, part of the market in which mobilize it. The second one is the self-driving cars. You know, on some of the time, and it's a driver's choice in some certified areas and certified times, but the driver remains responsible for the safe and legal operation of the vehicle. Okay, just because you can take your hands off the wheel, I mean, taking your hands off the wheel, who cares? The most important, more important thing is taking your feet off the brakes and throttle. And out of that, but you have to remain, you're the responsible and, and legal person that's, that's responsible for both the safe and the legal operation of the vehicle. Now these systems are extremely popular. I mean, you know, I've called them the ultimate texting machine, because if I take my, maybe, maybe I can text. And they're so darn good and there's nothing around. It's doing the driving. Maybe I can. That's what people are doing. And, I, you know, these things are selling in, in the showrooms. You know, the, the madmen have, have taken these to be the new, I call them, chrome and fins of, the, of selling cars. What, half of the, half of the models on, in showrooms today have these features and people are buying them. My goodness, what does it do? Does something for safety? Does improve high quality for sustainability, affordability, and equity? Uh, not so much, but these things, but this is, this is, but the driver has to remain alert, remain being responsible for the safe and legal operation of the vehicle. This is the, this is the key fine print. And there's no car that's sold today to individuals that doesn't require this responsibility, whether it has technology or not. And then the third one is, of course, driverless cars. On all the time, in certified areas, at certified times, so-called operational design domain, and there's no driver or attendant in there. What does that do? For safety, probably not much. About the only thing, the the real opportunity to to at least remain as safe as the existing systems is that at least it's not going to misbehave. Because, of course, those that are designing the, the, the driver controls on this make sure that it doesn't misbehave. It doesn't severely exceed the speed limit. It doesn't tailgate. It doesn't fall asleep because it has backups and redundancy. It doesn't run red lights, etc. What it really does because it doesn't have a driver is address affordability, providing mobility with a vehicle that you don't have to pay the driver is actually cheaper than you providing mobility for yourself. Why is the car, the personally owned car so dominant in providing mobility? It's because the rides that it provides to the individual, it is not charged, that individual is not charged for the cost of the driver, because you're doing the driving. It's like going to Home Depot, do it yourself. Okay, you do the work, you don't have to pay for somebody else to do it. And here, you know, this has been the, sort of the beautiful perceived cost The benefit of personal cars is nobody says, oh, my goodness, I should be charging myself, oh, it's Sunday, uh, double time, to drive myself to go to Starbucks to get a cup of coffee. Nobody thinks that way. The driver's free. And in fact, everything that's been set up for the car makes it seem as if the whole operation is free. Nobody ever touches the money. Insurance premiums, hey, maybe, you know, every six months. Gas and oil, gas, whenever you load up, whenever you fill up, give them credit card, never see it. Each time you get in a car, it doesn't say, hey, I need exact change here, doesn't remind you as to what it costs. I mean, it's been a beautiful marketing um, uh, situation that the mad men have put in so that our perception of mobility with our personal car is essentially free i mean i used to joke with my students when when uh, i i haven't seen them lately when they were at advertisements on tv about buying a car and they'll give you ten thousand dollars cash back if you buy a new whatever you go in the showroom you get ten thousand dollars cash back Whatever, five thousand dollars cash back, and I say, "Oh my goodness, Whew, I want to buy ten of them." Man, I walk out of there with a hundred thousand. Well, you know, <laughs> you know, they never tell you the price; they just tell you about the cash back. You know, oh, gotta have one of those. That's all because all this is done on, you know, with respect to making consumer choices based on the perception, and you know, all these costs have been hidden. However, if we now have a computer doing the driving and it's at any kind of scale, that computer behaves like Moore's law. Its individual cost basically goes to zero with scale. So now you can approach a personally driven car with a drive, the cost of a of a a personally driven car with the cost of a computer driven car, because now there's no driver to pay. And in fact, now if this car is, provides mobility to me, then goes over and provides mobility to you, then comes back and provides more mobility to me, and then goes back and provides more mobility to you, that asset, the vehicle asset is not being shared. Between the two of us. So, actually, that you know, if I, one really goes in and says, Hey, what's the capital cost of each of the rides? My goodness, we're sharing it. And if you can get to, as we always use the elevator analogy on this thing, if you can share rides every once in a while. So it doesn't give me mobility then goes over and give you mobility, Fred, and then come back to me or whatever it goes to the third person and moves around. If it takes two people at the same time, that means whatever cost of mobility is to the individual is divided by two. If it's three, it's divided by, these are so simple. But what it really does is address this affordability issue. It now makes the, the opportunity to give rides from A to B within the operational design domain to be whew, really inexpensive. And so for anybody who is, who is price sensitive in terms of travel, this makes a big difference. So where are we with these driverless cars? You know, investment-wise, technologically, McKinsey basically has it out there that, you know, we've spent $206 billion or invested $206 billion in autonomous vehicle technologies. And essentially, all of that has gone into testing to get the driverless technology to work safely somewhere. So the investment, all in testing. Deployment wise, sort of the sociology of this provision of mobility with respect to driverless cars to date, essentially zero revenue has been bought. Essentially zero. Um, Waymo's had a little bit in Phoenix, and I guess, um, you know, in, in GM Cruise has a little, very little in, uh, in San Francisco, but that's it. And essentially, zeal societal value has been captured. None of them are providing mobility to a bunch of folks who you know really could use affordable mobility to get to where they would really like to go and certainly deal with some of that latent travel demand. Then none of that. Why? Because the deployments today have not focused the level leverage the technology's disruptive attributes. Why? Because the deployments today have not focused to leverage the technology's disruptive attributes. They've been focused on those that already have great mobility options. These deployments have no hope of becoming disruptive. For whom are the strengths of driverless cars Safety, equity, affordability, sustainability, high quality, likely to be disruptive. Uh, limousine and black car users. Are you kidding? No chance. People who use limousines and black cars, first of all, they don't pay for it, okay? So <laughs> the affordability opportunity has no meaning because they're, they're uh, price, price insensitive. And they're so interested in high quality. Oh, Professor Kornhauser, can I take your bag? Can I help you in and all that stuff? The quality of driverless cars has no way of being as good as black cars and limousines. So if you go in the market and you say, oh, I'm gonna get black car and limousine users to, to use these things, good luck. Maybe you'll get them for the first time they want to see and take the selfie and they can you know, send it to their, the driverless cars. Are they going to come back for a second trip? Huh. What's the value of that selfie the second time? Oh, close to zero. Certainly the third time it's zero. So they have no chance. How about ride-hailers? Well, no. most ride-hailers are, are travel uh, on an expense account. So they're not price sensitive, at least you know, the, the really um, expensive trips. And so therefore, except for those in which affordability really matters, you know, ride-hailers, uh, that's not the market that you want. How about car drivers? maybe you can get some car drivers to actually look, oh my goodness, look at how much a car costs me. And like, uh, yeah, if I take this, I'll be, yeah, you might be able to get some of them. There's certainly a lot of them, but only for those in which affordability really matters. And those that don't have a car that they can drive themselves, huh, that's a little bit different issue here affordability and high quality is disruptive why because what they have in terms of opportunities is not very good and my goodness affordability if they could have, if they if they had money they'd probably buy a car but they don't have a car so this is the market that is disruptive where driverless cars can be disruptive and who are those that are in that market, the too young, those that don't have driver's license yet. Why? Because their existing firms in the Schumpeter concept include what, chauffeured by parents, the bus, walking? Oh my goodness. Not very high, well, maybe chauffeured by parents is, but my goodness, what you have to beg and do to be able to get that? Hmm. The two old, here the existing firms include chauffeured by children, the bus and walking. Not very good options. The two poor, the existing firms include chauffeured by friends, begging a friend to take you and then owing them something for the bus or walking. Again, the competition is, is, is not very high quality and a high quality driverless mobility is disruptive not enough cars in the family. Their existing firms are chauffeured by the driver in the family. The bus are walking. And again, alternatives are not very strong. And then the physically challenged. The physically challenged, who are, what are their existing ways, the existing firms of getting their chauffeured by family or paratransit? And my goodness, paratransit. Oh, whatever. So what we've done is we put together a mobility disadvantage index, which is a function of auto availability, income, and transit accessibility, and basically looked at geographic areas across the country to then build distributions of the percentage of households in those particular areas as a function of mobility di, mobility disability index and the the mobility disadvantaged index okay what this these distributions say that in fact if we look at them the bottom part of that distribution are those that can be targeted and have the best opportunity for the driverless mobility to be disruptive and the opportunity now that 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 disruptive level of service can be provided affordably through driverless cars have the opportunity to now become the customers for such deployments. So out of this, uh, why do we look at this kind of thing is because, you know, if we look at Baseline societal benefits programs that have provided basic uh, societal needs, you know, we have food and food stamps, we have retirement benefits through Social Security, we have Medicare for health, housing has has a number of of affordable housing programs uh, for people, education, has Pell grants, mobility, what's been done in mobility to provide mobility benefits to these folks. Well, you know, we built rail transit systems that are systems that are really for the rich. We have bus systems and the service of those is, is absolutely um, uh, compared to Uh, Being able to to drive your own car is extremely poor. And the paratransit services, I think in New Jersey, New Jersey Transit, it costs like 60 bucks a ride to provide that paratransit service that you have to set up in advance with who knows, two hour windows and so on. And basically, you know, spend all your all all the time during the day for uh, the trips that you're, you're about to take. Uh, the quality of the service is, is, is um, in any measure, uh, it, it's great that it's there, but it is absolutely the um, uh, lowest common denominator. Whereas affordable high-quality mobility can transform what we believe affordable housing into affordable living. So if you add on to affordable housing, affordable High quality mobility that leads to affordable living. So the suggestion for the how of deployment of safe, equitable, affordable, sustainable, high quality mobility is what we've come up with: a move-style deployment, mobility opportunity vehicle, equitable equitable systems. Which what is it? It's elevator-like. Always use the elevator. Um, um, analogy here why because how do you use an elevator you walk into the front of the building you walk to the elevator bank it's not sitting there right there at at the front door you then um, um, either uh, uh, elevator is waiting for you open and you walk in or you summon one by hitting a button it comes you get in uh, and it's shared casually when appropriate somebody else shows up gets in with you then you share the ride so instead of being floor to floor which is elevator like we talk about kiosk to kiosk service the kiosks are what they're no more than a five minute walk away from any of the places in a particular uh, community so that you have basically a short walk from the front door to the elevator bank or a short walk from your home to a kiosk or for for the, uh, from the kiosk to a church, to a um, health provider, to whatever. So it's a, something like less than five minute walk with a level of service that's within five minutes You um, from the time that you summon uh, the vehicle or get in the vehicle to the time it departs is something less than five minutes. And the kind of operation is at 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But instead of trying to operate 365.25 days in a year, here in New Jersey, we like to talk about 350 days of operation. Now, if it snows too much, well, please wait until we shovel the snow and then we'll provide the service. If, if this is a 10th anniversary of Hurricane Sandy, if we're having a Hurricane Sandy, we're not trying to solve the mobility and Hurricane Sandy problem. We're trying to provide uh, opportunities for safe, equitable, affordable, sustainable, high quality mobility to folks to people who really don't have access to good mobility and having it having this kind of level of service five minute wait within a five minute walk to where you're coming from or going to uh, 24 seven 350 is we consider extremely High quality. It's almost as good a quality as having your own car to to take and 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 to go whenever you want to wherever you want to go.
0: And we should point out, Alan, too, that there'd be few, if any, stops between from where you want where you're picked up and where you're going.
1: Yeah, there are there are really none. So if I'm coming from this kiosk and going to that kiosk, it just takes me boom -boom, and goes. Okay, and there's somebody else might get in, but that other person that gets in with me is not going here, but they're going down here, down there, or maybe here. And so you drop them off, and then you go to yours, or you get dropped off, and then it goes there. So the idea is it's kiosk, kiosk, using only a subset of the road systems. This is the, 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 the Trenton network, which subset of the road system, the subset for which it is this uh, the safest uh, 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 mobility uh, for the cap- uh, capability for these systems. So uh, there's you know low, sp- mostly low speed and so on. At least here for Trenton, for this uh, 60 kiosk uh, network, um, uh, the um, uh, speeds uh, never have to get above 35 miles an hour. Uh, most of the time they're running at 25 to 35 miles an hour. Uh, uh, the level of service is is really uh, fantastic. It's as good as driving your own car from from any of these places, and you have the opportunity to to go to some very important ports like the tra- Trenton Transit Center that give you access not only uh, to uh, to the train station but then everywhere else where the train station goes. And the train station where does New Jersey Transit, Northeast Quarter Service goes, it also goes to Newark Airport, Newark Airport, where do you go? You can go anywhere in the world. So all of a sudden you have access through this system, very easy access to to any place in the world. What the kiosk might look like, this is a kiosk that the preliminary design for it at, at Trenton High School. And why did we uh, have our initial proposal for Trenton? Well, you know, it is the state capital in New Jersey, but more importantly, 70% of Trenton households have access to one or fewer cars. So, in fact, a large portion of Trenton residents have access to very poor mobility options. And this driverless technology now available to them. For them, it is totally disruptive and because it's affordable and it would be easy for people that, that are really poor to be able to provide, to, buy, uh, to provide transit stamps. It provides the affordability aspect along with a high quality of service, really guarantee a market for this, for this service. And they the level of service the, the, the cost of providing the service is so low that you can actually make a profit and the profit of uh, let's say a bucket trip why because each one of each one of the cost of each one of the trips here person trips is a buck and a half at most and so there it there's a real opportunity to not only provide extremely affordable mobility, but also do it in the private marketplace of the provision of the trips. Now, we've looked at public housing in Trenton, as uh, how you might convert Donley Homes into a place where a kiosk place where these vehicles are sitting and waiting and to, to provide mobility to the folks. To go out to Walmart, uh, you know, if you don't have a car, how do you get to Walmart? Well, these things could take you to Walmart, and the kiosk at Walmart might look like something like this where the vehicles waiting stations are near the front door to the Walmart and provide accessibility uh, there. If one looks at all the person trips in Trenton that are part of the total addressable market, one sees that they're basically 100,000 per day person trips in that total addressable market that occurs at at the rates that one is seeing here per minute throughout the 24 hours a day. These peaks in the morning are not only trips uh, to work, but also trips to school. These peaks over here are really trips from school. Yes, mobility is not provided for kids going to school in Trenton. You know, you, and, and uh, so if you live more than uh, half a mile from a school, you know, this is a real mobility opportunity for them. The way we've talked about uh, evolving this is, is by starting initially with a phase in which we're operating 12 hours a day, seven days a week, 350 days a year, but with an attendant on board. Now you say, oh my goodness, now you got to pay an attendant. I thought you were telling me that this thing's going to be affordable. In the beginning, one has to pay for an attendant. Why? Not to prove that the technology works. One assumes that the 200 billion that's already been invested in technology has a working entrant, that it's safe. It's to it's the, it's the provide, allow for the customer to become acclimated to the service. So just like with elevators, originally there was an elevator operator on board. People got used to, you know, were willing to get into an elevator because there was an elevator operator on board. At some point they said, well, my goodness, that elevator operator really is doing nothing. It can just run automated, uh, pull the elevator operator. And where do you pull it? Well, you pull it to then be able to convert this operational design to driverless operation, extend the operation to 24 hours per day, seven days a week to 350 days, and then use those to extend and expand the operational design domain to acclimate even more customers. And after that acclimation point, convert the whole thing uh, to driverless operation and use, the, use the, um, the, the attendance to acclimate even more customers and to eventually turn out to have sustained operation, not just in, in in Trenton, New Jersey, but throughout Mercer County. And not only throughout Mercer County, but then replicate that in Camden and in Atlantic City and in, in New Brunswick and Perth Amboy and Newark, in Patterson and so on throughout the state. And then maybe even, you know, the Brooklyn Queens, uh, expressway domain of of Brooklyn and Queens on the east side of uh, of the uh, East River to provide mobility, Um, basically uh, elevator-like direct origin to destination mobility through here, through the vehicles, where here the total addressable market for trips is is a million person trips a day. Get 10% of those 100, uh, you know, uh, Hundred thousand uh, person trips a day, uh, make a buck on each one. Profits a hundred thousand per day, uh, times three hundred days per year or so. Well, that's doing pretty well. You could do that with maybe seventy five kiosks, five hundred vehicles. You know, serve I don't know seventy five thousand with five hundred vehicles uh, 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 operating out there. And really focusing on this mobility disadvantage, look at all the other 100 plus, 200 places throughout the United States where similar uh, um, systems uh, would be viable to do what? To deliver societal value at scale. So this would be success driven by evolving uh, uh, the operational design domains. Through replication throughout the country, in uh, so many places where there are so many people who could um, uh, be uh, whose quality of life could be substantially improved uh, with this kind of affordable, sustainable, equitable, safe, high-quality mobility. Thank you.
0: Well said, Alan.
1: Yes, Fred. To to me, this is is a market-driven opportunity to do deployment and to basically have a place in which you have an ignition to basically an explosive deployment uh, to scale. It's driven by the marketplace. Why? Because in these markets of of, uh, uh, um, mobility disadvantage, uh, the opportunity here of, of, uh, of affordability and high quality mobility is so disruptive that people will then take it repeatedly every day, and this builds a true market that can flourish as opposed to going after what black car and, and limousine users who will, right. I mean, my it, goodness, you've got well, to be kidding. That's in,
0: that's in some of the headlines we're going to chat about. For instance, okay. Waymo uh, is now making passenger trips to Phoenix airport. I mean, we've talked about Waymo before and, and, the, and the argument that you pose is that uh, they could be doing things that uh, provide mobility to people who don't have many options. Right. I
1: mean... Uh, if you, if you look at any customer that they take uh, you know, from downtown Phoenix to, uh, to, to the airport, you know, what improvement have they provided? A selfie? Are they really going to go out there and say, hey, we're, our price uh, for that trip is, is 20% of what it's gonna cost you in Uber? Are they really gonna compete on price? Are they really gonna be disruptive on price if they are? Well, then they have the opportunity to take a lot more people. But I don't believe that that's what they're looking at. They're looking to take, uh, to take the folks from downtown Phoenix, you know, who are on an expensive account, who, have a, you know, who don't care how much they spend. Okay, I mean, they do care, but you know, they're not price sensitive. Right. And really, they're going to instead of have a black card, you know, uh, what, what, what's the improve? What's the society societal improvement on that? None. might Mike, might, well, might you, negative. Used,
0: you've used the word uh, disruptive repeatedly through the presentation. And that's really what we're talking about here.
1: What yeah, you- you, well, it, look, the reason 200 billion has been invested in this thing is because it's going to do something different. Really good. It has to do that if it expects to get back $200 billion in, in, in value. Otherwise, if it just sits out there and competes, you know, sort of, hey, whatever, and I'm going to, you know, steal a few trips from Uber and Lyft and bring the demise of Uber and Lyft uh, more quickly, uh, okay.
0: That's another headline in from the... Uh from the newsletter, from the latest newsletter, Lyft laying off 13% of its workforce with a bleak uh, economic outlook?
1: Well, yeah, because uh, unfortunately, you have to pay for the driver and the driver deserves to earn, earn a living wage. And it's not only the time that the driver has to spend taking you from A to B, It's also the time that the driver has to spend getting to you, and maybe part of the time that the driver has to spend getting to the next person, although maybe they should pay for that. Or the driver has to sit around waiting until you're ready to go, or you wanna go. And so they have to sit there and whatever, they deserve to be paid. They don't just hurt be on the moment. I mean, it's just not the way we work. The beauty of having a computer do this is it can sit around and wait. Do you know how long how, how long my computer on my desktop sits around and waits for me to, to get on and provide service to me? And then if I go do something else, you know, do this sits around and just, you know. I'll just wait for him and serve him, okay? It's completely different when you're dealing with a human than with a computer. And the opportunity that we have with these driverless vehicles operated in as a fleet is that, my goodness, they end up, they can be shared between the two of us between the rest of us, so if I'm not using it, you might be using it, and they can do shared rides too. When I'm using it, you're using it too at the same time. That addresses affordability in a major way. So then the question is, which markets can be disrupted to then capture uh, customers repeat customers who value that affordability who's who value that affordability
0: well you have certainly made the case uh with the presentation here
1: well i don't know i it's it's a uh, it's it's a, it's a preach i'm sorry folks but those are the fundamentals
0: and we encourage people who've watched this uh to share it with others yes. share the podcast throughout sure. the industry uh Academia, yeah. right. Where, there, wherever there's, there is interest,
1: right. And there's a there's a link to the to the slide, so you don't have to. You can sit there and read instead of listening to my preaching. But um, but I just wanted to walk folks through it. Um, I know
0: it's, well, well done. Well, a couple of other quick headlines. Aurora, sure. we we had mentioned Aurora. They're reaffirming they have enough cash to run until commercial deployment. I guess that they're, they're kind of answering the. Re- earlier reports
1: yeah and i i sure hope they do but it really emphasizes the fact that uh, there's still pre-revenue right and those of us that have started businesses and those of us that have been in it all know that my goodness um our expectations of when revenue starts um always seems to be extremely optimistic (laughs) Uh, so you know i mean my advice to any student starting a business hey don't really start until you have revenue okay (laughs) don't leave your day job until you have revenue in this startup that you want to do okay (laughs) Uh,
0: Tesla remember, remember. Tesla, and yeah, another yeah. headline has released a, a new FSD beta I'm calling it FSD yeah uh, please not, not the uh,
1: <laughs> not what it stands for. yeah yeah please let's stop yeah um, yeah they released um you know 69.3 and um, and uh, their release release notes have been uh, out there on the web and it looks like more improvements so they're making progress not you know they're really nowhere near driverless where people would just use it anywhere driverless you know they're trying to do driverless everywhere that is just so difficult why don't you just do it somewhere as i said to them you know why don't you do you know re- do a release uh, Run some vehicles around Trenton for a while, and give you some data, and then you can do a release FSD 69. Trenton that then can provide the repeated safe mobility operation within that just that operational design domain. And when we go to expand the whole thing through Mercer County, then you know we'll spend a little bit of time and give you some more data to make sure that now you fsd.mercer county but not everywhere just on the streets the safest streets the safest where it's easiest for you not where it's toughest because where it's too hard we won't go there we don't need to go there There are are ways to go that are easy, safe. There are ways to go that you shouldn't unless you're whatever. So, you know, if you work the problem that way, I think we can get to deployment to deliver at least some societal benefits and generate some revenue, some profits early to give us a chance to do more work to then grow it. And in fact, you know, one's not trying to provide cross-country trips. We're just trying to get the people in Trenton to the Trenton train station. And then if they have to go to North Jersey, they, they can go, they can take New Jersey transit up to Newark and then Newark, get the Newark moves to take them to where they're going. And so the, the, the system in Newark only has to work and the Newark moves. The system in, 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 uh, in Trenton only in the Trenton moves. That can be two different releases of the software. And the cars don't go here and have to operate there. They don't stay here. They're just fine. Thank you. With the more manageable, the easier to generate, the safer set of of dials, values on your deep learning so that it really does work. It is safe.
0: You make it sound easier than landing Falcon Heavy boosters.
1: <laughs> uh, no, it's not easier. Landing Falcon Heavy boosters is basically just F equals MA, with, you know, whatever. You know, it doesn't have kids running out. Um, you know, chasing balls. It doesn't have people going through red lights at 107 miles an hour or whatever. It doesn't have all that misbehavior. It, you know, it really is. Driverless cars are, are more difficult than, than uh, uh, rocket science. You know, and, uh, and uh, you know, SpaceX has really made, uh, made rocket science. I mean, whew, they've done a beautiful job. So I also link in there in the, in the, in the newsletter, um, um, the um, Falcon Heavy launch last week, which was really impressive again. It, it, it's either totally impressive or totally photoshopped. I don't think it's for some reason. For some reason, I don't think that one's photoshopped.
0: I don't think so.
1: Yeah, I don't think the the, the U.S. Space Force is going to let you know <laughs> SpaceX Photoshop their the launch of their uh, of their satellites anyway. Well,
0: on that note, we want to thank CARTs, the Corporation for Automated Road Transportation Safety, for helping to make this podcast possible. CARTs is a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to safe and high-quality mobility for all. You can find us at SmartDrivingCar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Amazon, Spreaker, wherever you turn to for podcasts. Your smart speaker can play us, too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching. Please stay safe. Have a great week ahead.
1: Thank you.